Forum the Hockey Podcast, we are back. Uh, we've been out a few weeks. It's a long, long few weeks um, dealing with some an illness running through the household here personally. Don't worry, it's not the C word, so <laughs> clear there. Um, finally, finally on the men, so we're catching up a little bit on social media and everything regarding the trade deadline and all that stuff, so bear with us. Appreciate your patience. Uh, Worm the Hockey Podcast, this week we're going to discuss GM meetings, touch on that. Uh, there's a few headlines to kick off, though. Um, first and foremost, we are to the Frozen Four in the NCAA. Michigan, Denver, Minnesota, and Minnesota State. Uh, they are your final four teams um, playing for a national championship. So it's been a fun tournament, exciting tournament, uh, a few upsets. Did not expect Notre Dame to beat North Dakota, uh, for example. Um, otherwise, it, I mean, it's been a good tournament, but otherwise it's kind of fallen where you'd expect it to fall. Um, yeah, in general, I don't Mich- I Michigan don't know. beat American International, Quinnipiac won, Denver, Duluth, um, Western, uh, Western Michigan did beat Northeastern, so that was a bit of an upset. Minnesota beat UMass, so beating the defending champs. Minnesota State over Harvard, Notre Dame over North Dakota. So, yeah, it's it's been a good tournament. So, yeah, I, I did get to see a couple of games for uh, for a change, uh, but uh, they were they were excellent. I watched both of the DU co- uh, games in the semis, um, and they were uh, they were really really good. It was you know, and these are I, I don't know how much of it you've watched, but boy oh boy, are these games being decided on bounces. Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. Um, Connor McDavid, first to reach 100 points. Austin Matthews will probably get 50 goals this year. Probably tonight. Um, Peter Morazic out six weeks. That kind of solved one of the Leafs goaltending problems. Yes. And uh, Goligoski gets a two-year extension in Minnesota. Minnesota's got uh, an interesting cap situation. So this is kind of their, their year to go for it. Um, yeah, because they've got Suter and Parisi's buyout contracts on the books uh, for the next few years. Combine that with the salary cap only going up a, by a million with Kaprasov and all your guys like that. This is kind of it before because you're likely to see Dumba and a number of guys clear out this this off season. So this is kind of yeah. their year to go for it before they're kind of back in. I, I don't know if I'd say full rebuild, but back in a bit of a regrouping stage. Yeah, this this roster cannot stick around. Uh, you know, they're they're still showing some some cap money uh, available, but this is a you know picking up. Well, Flurry's a rental, um, but this is a this is a team that's got to make some decisions, make some difficult decisions, and. They, they don't have a – with those two white elephant contracts that they're still carrying with Suter and Parisi, this, this is going to be tough. I'm trying to look here while we've got this up at um, who has the tiebreaker between Florida and Carolina. Oh. Because right now they are tied 96 points. Um, 
I don't know, was it first tiebreaker is head to head? Well, first tiebreaker would be uh, regulation. regulation wins. Yeah. Um, well, right now I'm just going to say for the sake of continuing to move things forward, it's Florida. Just for the sake of making the point. Um, I don't but, think it's going to matter. I think Florida's, Florida is likely to win that. You know, if they if they go on, it's likely to be Florida's conference. But yeah, um, so we'll just say Florida um, right now. Right now, Florida would get Washington first round. Carolina would get Boston, and then you get uh, Tampa and Toronto and the Rangers and Penguins in the East as your first-round matchups. If it started today, there's still 17 games left in the season, but if things started today, those would be your Eastern Conference matchups. In the West, you get Colorado and 277. Most likely Dallas, maybe. Uh, Colorado and Vegas, if things started now. And then you get Calgary and Nashville with Minnesota, St. Louis, and L.A. Edmonton in the first round. <clears throat> I'm, I'm, going to, uh, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that Vegas will not be there. They've got to deal with uh, Dallas. Uh, Winnipeg's at 76 points. Um, and Vancouver. As of um, this point, Evan, uh, Dallas is one point behind Vegas as we record right now. Yep. And Dallas has four games in hand. Yep. So well, I don't think it's a far, far reach or much of a limb to say they don't make it. Um, it is Vegas, so they could. <laughs> but I, I, I'd see. I'd say it's probably going to be Dallas over Vegas. Um, Winnipeg and Vancouver are giving a bit of a battle but it's probably gonna be dallas <coughs> excuse me yeah i don't i don't know i don't see vancouver making up that, that much ground uh, especially on, on the teams that on teams like nashville and dallas i don't see vancouver making it in this year uh winnipeg could big game tonight as we record tonight's game in, in toronto uh with winnipeg so Every one of them is a playoff game now, and they lost Kyle Connor, I believe, for the year. So there are some there are some problems afoot there that really just uh, it, the entire season has been a disappointment in Winnipeg. But don't see it anyway. Uh, two teams that really made noise uh, at the deadline: Rangers and Minnesota. Both got sort of made noise a lot better. Colorado shored themselves up. Yep. Adding some good depth pieces, some good veteran leadership. Um, so the teams you'd expect to make some noise made some noise. So, yeah. well, the, so. the rich kind of got richer for the most part. And some teams were strangely quiet. Carolina did nothing. Uh, not that they really need to. I think they had Florida, a dome, but that was about it. I don't – so here's one you were, you were talking about the – cap a few minutes ago you talk about a cap that you don't understand where are the florida panthers fitting everybody in that was my argument i'm look 
That was my argument the whole time over speculation that they'd get Drew. What are they get? How? How? <clears throat> because in looking at it, they've got they they only have two million in cap relief due to LTIR. I'd have to pull up the cap friendly to rem- to remind myself of the name of the guy who's on LTIR, but it's no, nobody's substantial. No, it, well, Aaron Eckblad is on on long term. Uh, but he's going to miraculously recover the first game of the playoffs. Oh, good transition to the GM meetings because they touched on LTIR, but um, that was yeah, my I, argument the whole time. Because up to the trade deadline, Ekblad wasn't on LTIR. They added Sherratt, and then they add Giroux. And at the time, they only had $2 million in cap relief. Right. So how does that work? But apparently they LTIR'd Ekblad, and there you go. Yep. That's, that's part of it. I don't know where they're getting the rest of the room. Jonas Johansson uh, is on injured reserve, but he's he's less than a million dollars. So well, I, I'm not sure where they're putting him in. I, I I would have to see a little bit more closely. Sharat's a Sharat is almost two million. Uh, um, Giroux is what's Giroux's hit uh, four? So they got a hat with a fifty percent re- retention from Philly. That's that's the only way. And I don't remember, did Montreal keep part of uh, Sherratt's salary for this year, maybe? Yeah. I don't remember that the specs of that deal. But to your point about the, about the um, GM meetings, there was not, as of yesterday, uh, today the recording is the 31st, um, yesterday on the 30th, the GMs had already brought up the LTIR the, the Kucherov rule, yeah. kind of, if you <clears throat> and not one of them objected. Yeah. Not one said, we need, to, we need to fix this. So they all know that at some point, what's good for one is good for all. I can do the same thing. And there's probably right now, there's 10 or 12 GMs in that room that believe they can win the Stanley Cup. And that's the case most years. It's usually eight to 10 that have a legitimate chance to win. So most of the guys say, well, someday I'll be there. Either if I'm not there this year or next year, I will be soon. So I may be the Ottawa Senators right now, but when I get all my prospects in place, I'm going to need that rule. So let's leave it there. So, you know, and, and the, the logic of that is not entirely flawed because if you can have a guy that, uh, that goes out for two months or three months on LTIR and then comes back for the playoffs and can be effective, you, in the playoffs, you, you want everybody's best players to be available. Uh, so I'm, I can see why it's not entirely fair to do it that way, but yet if all the GMs say it is, then it is. If the Board of Governors doesn't vote it down, then it's fine. It's uh, it's within the rules. So, so Warm the Hockey Podcast, uh, social media platforms, Facebook and Instagram, follow us there, engage with us. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, audio platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, and YouTube. Subscribe, rate, and review, and enjoy. Warm the Hockey Podcast. This week, uh, we're going to touch on the GM meetings. I'll get you started. I need to grab a lozenge so I'm not coughing through this whole thing. So you get started, kick it off, uh, GM meetings, and I will jump in in just a second.
Well, while you're getting your lozenge, let me just say that I've heard a lot of chatter in the last two weeks, uh, and especially in the days and hours leading up to the trade deadline, tons of chatter about loyalty. Why teams can possibly get to the trade deadline and cut a guy loose. Uh, you know, the guy has a family, he's got kids in school, he's got, uh, he owns a home, he's got, you know, I get it and how unnerving it must be for some players. But this is a, as a group, the NHLPA went on strike. There were, have been two work stoppages to make sure that they got free agency, number one, and that it got lowered to the age of 27, number two. So do you think for a minute that all these guys yelling about loyalty, do you think one of them would pass up an opportunity to get a raise and leave town? No, no. none of them would. And, and it starts with Jonathan Taves, who never seems to shut up. Apparently, his $10 million salary, his $100 million contract in Chicago, and, you know, great career, won three cups, no, no issues with him on the ice whatsoever. Apparently, that needs to carry with it the GM duties, because whether they make a trade or whether they don't make a trade, he's always angry about something. He just never stops talking about how the club shouldn't have done this, the club shouldn't have done that, they should have done this. He needs to, he needs to approve their rebuild. He needs to approve all their trades. They got a king's ransom for Brandon Hagel. Yep. Good young player, good 24-year-old prospect, great third-line scorer, good guy to have in your roster. Everybody needs him. But they got two, two first-round picks, plus Boris Kachuk, plus uh, Radish, Taylor Radish, and we've been talking about those two guys as prospects coming up in the in the automatic in progress rebuild of the Tampa Bay Lightning. We've been talking about them for two years that they were not good enough to even crack that lineup, and now they will be. But they got two first rounders and those two blue chip prospects for Brendan Hagel, and he's mad about it. I just well, I've, like, I've lost respect for Taves as time is. Either be on. a player or be a GM. Quit your contract and get a GM job. Yep. How's that? They don't need to talk to you when they make a trade. They don't need your approval to do anything. Cash your check, polish your Stanley Cup rings, and keep your mouth shut. That's just embarrassing when you when you got to constantly whine about stuff like that. Forget it. That's that isn't right. Well, they touched on a few things at the GM meetings. First off, we'll start. Uh, they touched on the salary cap. Cap will increase by one million to eighty-three point five for next season. Ooh, well, they're on easy street now. The guys that find themselves eleven million dollars over the cap, they've got an extra million to play with next year. There's going to be this is like, <coughs> this me. is just creating buyout after buyout, isn't it? What's like, that? It's just. Waivers and buyouts are going to be rampant during the summer. Oh, so, interesting, interesting. We'll see how it goes. Uh, LTIR, we touched on that. Um, yep. Some GMs wanted to have the discussion. That's why it was discussed, um, but nothing came of it. So, uh, nothing's changing. Before we go any farther regarding the GM meetings, uh, let's give full, full honors and, uh, and respect to Eugene Melnick. Um, Passed away earlier this week. Great guy. Uh, I did a lot of good work off the ice that nobody knew about. And the fact that the Ottawa Senators are the 
the Ottawa senators and not the Quebec City senators or somebody else is just simply because of Eugene Miller. He's the reason they were there. And aside from the building being out in the middle of nowhere uh, in Canada, they're, you know, that franchise is not that franchise if he doesn't commit to it and stick with it. Yep. So, uh, The only thing I'll say about, um, about that is <clears throat> all the negative things aside about him, um, he did a lot of things for that organization and that community. So absolutely respect, respect there. Uh, what I'll say about LTIR before we move on, I would have liked to have seen a fix personally, something, um, either the cap extending into the playoffs or, you know, putting a, putting a cap on, on when a guy has to be removed from LTIR. Um, okay. You're on LTIR fine, but by, March 5th, Kucherov has to come off LTIR and hit your cap again, whether he's ready to play or not. Right. Because you have to be cap compliant at the cap for the trade deadline, for everything. So, and moving forward to the playoffs. So by this, by this date, the player, whether he's ready to play or not, has to come off LTIR, hit your cap, and there you go moving forward. Something like that, I, because while I'm in full, in full agreement that um, that if there's no issue with the general managers regarding the LTR stuff, then it's not really breaking any rules. Um, there is something to be said for the quote convenience that we've seen in the past that Kucherov misses an entire season. The injury is so bad he misses an entire season. But yet, conveniently, he's 100% healthy right at the start of the playoffs. So there's something there that, in my opinion, should at least be looked at. But How about this? I'm, not, I'm not in the general manager meetings making the, making the overall decisions. So. It seems like uh, I agree with the fact that, that the best players should be available. If they're healthy and they're available, and you want to bring them back from three months off and throw them into the first round of the playoffs, okay, if that's, if that's a risk you're willing to take. Some players can get, at, get it going and some just can't. Uh, however, it seems like there should be some control over it. Like there should be some boundaries put around it where a certain amount of, you know, maybe there's a little bit of cap relief, but not not completely in the playoffs. Maybe the, the limit is the number of games missed or the amount of, the amount of time on LTIR. There seems to me like there should be some controls over it. That's all. Now, and I know you probably don't remember this. You were very young at the time when Peter Forsberg missed, was it an entire season or most of a season? And his first games were in the playoffs and he led the team in scoring. But I may have led the playoffs in scoring. So not everybody can do what Forsberg or Kucherov or somebody like that can do. Not everybody can come back from cancer treatment like Mariko and have a hat trick his first night. But you want those guys in the playoffs. You want them available. But there needs to be some control. And if it means that you have to then take a handful of your league minimum guys and play without them and play with less depth, maybe. 
okay, but there, I, I would like to see some controls put over it. That's all. Yep. So it's not just the, the playoffs right now are a free for all. <clears throat> there's no cap. There's no limits to LTIR. It's a free for all. And I, I would rather see it where there have to be some managerial skills wrapped around that. Yep. Um, decisions to be made here in the future regarding how the Ottawa Senators will be structured and run moving forward. Uh, now that uh, Melnick has passed. So that was something that Bettman touched on. Um, he was, okay, so here's, I don't know the inner workings. Of course, no one is likely to ever know, but Eugene Melnick made it very clear in his last few months and year or two that that franchise was going to stay in the family. I believe he has two daughters that inherited the franchise, which is fine that is his that's his choice it was his money it's his commitment he's done whatever it takes to keep that franchise healthy and keep them in ottawa however if the if the two daughters are not quote unquote qualified or don't have the interest uh in running the club uh, as a lot of a lot of heirs might uh then at least They'll probably, and I guess what we're going to likely to see is that the the heirs of the Melnick family will work with the league to put a a managing general partner in place or something like that. Maybe not an owner, but somebody to sit on, you know, with the board of governors or to represent the club as ownership. And they'll probably work with the league to to find the right person or persons to do that. Uh. 2022 NHL draft. Uh, Batman reiterated that the draft is still a go in for Montreal, mm-hmm. uh, July 7th and 8th. Um, and he didn't doesn't anticipate restrictions being placed on Russian players being drafted. So, I think so. I mean, it doesn't it, it doesn't make sense to punish the kids. So, then uh, the big one to me. Well, one of the big ones, uh, trades. Um, after the uh, Evgeny Dadanoff issue, uh, it became a talking point at GM meetings Yeah, um, on how they're going to do it. Bill Daly said uh, the league has talked to the NHLPA about changing the way no trade lists are registered. Mm-hmm. The idea will be to copy both Central Registry and the NHLPA with no trade list information. Uh, that will make it public, basically. It'll be like salary. Now, if a guy has a 10-team a ten team approved list or a 15-team absolutely never list, you're going to know if your franchise is on that list. Every fan is going to know this guy will not go there or he will only go here. So it's going gonna, it's gonna to become a little bit like salary in that now you're going to know where he will and where he won't go. And some guys even have a, have no trade clauses or trade approval clauses that say, I'll let you know. Like, I'll, I'll tell you whether or not I like your deal. And, and that's, I wonder sometimes, I know you got to give up no trade clause or, or no move clause in some regards to, to get a player signed. And you can, you can trade a little bit of salary for that. And this era is worth its weight in gold. Boy, do those no move clauses come back to get you? 
when you get to the end of a contract and you want to peddle somebody for assets and your only option is a certain number of teams, you may, and, and now, so the other, the other portion of that is not only becomes generally public knowledge, but now the teams know it. So what does that do to your value? If you are, pick a team, you're the Pittsburgh Penguins and you want this guy and you know that you're one of the only the five or six teams that he has approved that he said he would go to, my price is going way down for him because you can't put him anywhere else. Yeah. I, you know, so I, I don't have to give up the, I don't have to give up uh, an extra pick to get this guy. He's only coming here anyway. Yeah. So it's like well, what, uh, what Claude Giroux said about going to Florida. I'm only going to Florida. So Florida doesn't, you know, they don't have to give up much because he's only going there anyway. I guess it depends on if you look at it through an owner management perspective or a player perspective. Uh, the players are very protected. Yep. Um, and you could argue rightfully so. They are the assets. Yep. Um, and so, you know, we can look at it and not like it because, oh, geez, $6 million cap hit and, oh, now he's got a no-move clause. Oh, he's 33. What do we do? <laughs> players are protected. And, you know, the, these are the contracts. These are the way they're structured. And, I like it that way. You look at some of the other sports, like the NFL, their contracts aren't worth the paper they're written on. Unless you are Tom Brady or Peyton Manning, you are somebody that could easily just be cut in camp. <coughs> so, so, the and, and yes, let's not forget that the players – by the time you reach 35 and you can no longer be bought out, you've put, in a lot of cases, you've put 15, 16 years into earning that right. You've played a thousand games. You've, you've put in a lot, of, a lot of work and put up with a lot of, uh, a lot of injury and, and off-season training to get yourself to the age of 35 where you can't be bought out. Maybe you got a real tight no-move clause. And, and that's all, you know, that full marks to the guys who do that. They earn every penny of it. On the other hand, like you said, it depends on which side you're looking at it from. On the other hand, here's a guy that in, in you know, 2010, 15, 20, if you're a 35-year-old guy, the chances are if you're a high echelon player, you've made 60, 70, 80 million dollars, maybe 100 million dollars in your career. You're Zach Parisi or somebody like that, uh, Gary Souter. Um, you've made a you've made a mountain of money in your. Or, I'm sorry, Ryan Souter. Uh, you've made a lot of money. So, is there really a hardship there? No. This is but the these things are fully negotiated. They are in the CBA. Players approved them. Ownership approved them. They signed everything off. LTIR, no move clauses. Uh, Salary cap, everything is approved, so it's all within the boundaries. You can argue the fine points, but it's a, you know, it's all it's it's legal, it's perfectly legal. So. Yep. So uh, those are the talking points, GM meetings. Uh, those are the headlines to begin with. Um, that kind of does it for War Room this week. Uh, is there anything <laughs> you wanna you wanna close on this week? Well, after the deadline. Uh, how does that, does the deadline change where you stand uh, as we're, you know, by the time you, by the time this recording drops, 
you're going to have about a month left. You got right at a month left. So with that in mind, uh, how does the, how did the deadline change your view of the playoffs, regardless of who falls where we, we generally know, we know what the eight teams are in the East. We know it's going to be one of probably nine teams in the West, uh, eight of nine teams in the West. Did it change your, your view? If so, how? Well, I wouldn't say it changed my view. I will say this, and I don't want to guarantee it because playoffs are their own animal and anything can happen. Remember yeah. in 2014 or what was it, 2012, the first the first year, I think it was the first first cup win um, where L.A. squeaked in on the, the final day of the season as the eighth seed and then won the cup. Yeah. Um, so anything can happen. What I will say, <clears throat> St. Louis, L.A., Nashville in the in the West, all sat silent at the deadline. Yep. For whatever their reasons, cap whatever, they sat silent. Um, whereas Calgary, Colorado, Minnesota, all shored up what they what they needed, what they had. Uh, so in the West, I think it's. I think it's a foregone conclusion. I, I don't want to guarantee it because they, they play the game. Um, but if I had to make my predictions, and we like our predictions, <laughs> I think it's a foregone conclusion that Colorado, Calgary, and Minnesota are going to be your three teams vying for the Western Conference Championship in some fashion. I would certainly think so. Colorado, Colorado Calgary. Minnesota, Calgary, something like that. I, unless something crazy happens, just looking at how they're built, looking at what they did at the deadline, those are the three teams that, to me, are the cream of the crop in the West come playoff time. St. Louis has proven, but no matter what they did at the deadline, they can do it. Um, but just based on movement and certain things, they, they St. Louis, Nashville – and LA are three teams that <clears throat> I won't say have an uphill battle, but are going to be dealing with the cream of the crop, which is Colorado, Minnesota, and Calgary. If there's an upset to be had, it's likely to be Nashville. Which that and that's LA. LA looks strong. St. Louis is St. Louis. If if there if there's ever going to be a moment in the West this year where you go. Wow, I can't believe that happened. It's going to be because Nashville did something, right? And you know, Nashville could jump St. Louis even and and get into the uh, to a non uh, wild card spot into the third position. Uh, which and and so now, if you say Nashville's likely to pull the upset in the West, that automatically makes it not an upset anymore. If they're if they're likely to do it, but they've got a they well, got a real good. I won't say they're likely to again, again. They play the game on the ice, so I want to be careful with how I say this. But, again, St. Louis, L.A., and Nashville, how they're built, how they've done things, good on them. But given their situation, given doing nothing at the deadline, all these things, it's hard for me to say that they have a chance against Minnesota, Calgary, or Colorado. Yeah. So I won't say that it's likely that a Nashville will pull an upset. I think if there is an upset to be had, it will come from Nashville. 
but it won't, but it, it's, I'm not saying it's likely to be had. So, so it'll, it'll come down to, and stop me when this sounds familiar because we've got what 106 or so episodes in, and we probably said it in at least 90 of them. If the team will go as far as its goaltender goes. If Jonathan quick is healthy and on his game, LA can beat anyone. Uh, same with Markstrom in Calgary, the same with, uh, uh, Saros in Nashville, uh, Edmonton's got some unproven goaltending issues with Co- mostly with Koskinen. Uh, Smitty has gotten hot before. Minnesota, of course, has the Kakinen kid and picked up Flurry. So oh, Kakinen was oh, traded. Oh, wait a minute. Am I am I thinking the wrong guy? Talbot and Flurry. Oh, that's right. They had to give up Kakinen. They didn't think they needed to make room, so they traded Kakinen to San Jose. I about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Never mind. Never mind. Okay. Well. At least with Talbot, you've got a proven guy, but uh, who knows where you give it to. And I got a, I got one quick reminder on that before we, before we close out. But, I, but you're right. I mean, obviously, the body of work says that Minnesota, Colorado, Calgary are the teams to beat out West for sure. And, and anything short of that will be an upset, but goaltending. So – Eastern Conference uh, have to like what the Rangers have done. You've, uh, Carolina, uh, I don't. Their goaltending is still unproven. Toronto cut Freddie loose because they didn't think he could carry the weight of a season and a playoff run. So we'll see whether that was correct or not. Pittsburgh is uh, is probably is likely to be your upset team in uh, in the East if there is going to be one. Otherwise, these are eight very very evenly matched teams. But from Washington and Boston, as of today's uh, wild cards, on up through Pittsburgh and the Rangers and Toronto and Tampa and everybody, the East is nobody should shock you coming out of the East. Washington doesn't have the goaltending. I, I look at I look at upsets a little different. Maybe I don't view Pittsburgh, no matter where they are seated, as an upset. Um, Fair enough. To me, to me. And LA's floundered and they've rebuilt, <clears throat> but even then they're not an upset with what they've done in years past and what their team looks like. They're not an upset. St. Louis is St. Louis. They're not an upset. Um, Pittsburgh. Look at Pittsburgh over the past 10, 12 years. They're not an upset. No matter, no matter what, they're not an upset to me. I view upsets as Nashville. What have you done for me lately? Nashville has not, been successful in the playoffs they've not made it to to this level or they've not done this or that to me they are an upset if, if they do and if they make noise if they do anything uh, if Colorado were not a first place team I'd almost say they're an upset just because of their ability of the years past to get past the second round haven't done anything so far yeah they are they are sitting prime position for president's trophy and first seed so I can't in, in good conscience say Colorado would be an upset. But without that first seed, they would be, just simply based on what have you done for me lately? What have, what's your track record been? So Nashville, it would be an upset. Pittsburgh, I can't say, would be personally. Obviously, you might view it differently. Personally, I can't say they'd be an upset. Um, nor Washington, no matter what their seeding is. So in the so – I, I, I agree with that logic, Evan. What's that? Of the eight teams, and I, I, I'll pull it up here just to remind myself, 
but of the eight teams who are in the in the playoff position in the East, um, let me look at it. So, based on that logic, which is perfectly sound, Carolina and Florida have done nothing in the playoffs so far. Neither to team. Me, to me, the in the East, in the East, the upset would be Toronto. Toronto. Nothing. <clears throat> Toronto. If they get past the, if they make noise in the playoffs, Toronto's the Toronto's the upset. If they if they win a series, it's going to be a major upset. It doesn't matter who they're playing. If they win a series for the first time since you were knee high, the, the it'll be a major upset. So there are two upsets that could happen: Nashville, Toronto. Okay. Yeah. Me, the, to me, the rest of the teams have been there. They've proven they can be there. They've proven they can win playoff games. They, some of them have proven they can win the whole thing. Toronto and Nashville are the two teams right now, East and West, that have yet to really show much. Now, Nashville did make it to, I think it was the Western Conference Final and even the Stanley Cup Final a few years ago. So in that regard, okay. But to me, they, Nashville and Toronto are the two upsets waiting to happen if that's how it, how it falls. Very different roster, different coaching staff, different everything in Nashville. So they're probably – I would have to look back to that that run of a few <laughs> years ago to see how many guys weren't there. But Barry Trotz isn't there. Shea Weber isn't there. Uh, uh, Pecorini isn't there. This is, a, this is a very different team. So we'll see. Uh, but it's – yeah, I, I think you're right. And, and everybody kind of falls into that, that same mold. Yeah. St. Louis won a cup a couple of years ago and Bennington was on a roll. Same with Washington, but they had Holtby. Now they've got unproven goaltending. So, and the turnover in the roster in St. Louis has been significant. You know, these are every year is a different team, but at least, you know, with coaching staff and, and leadership on the ice, a lot of the core of those teams is together. So you have to, you have to look at a team that's seasoned. They've got a locker room full of veterans at, uh, in St. Louis and Washington that could do it. Um, and that is just simply not the case in Toronto or Nashville, uh, like you said. And, and uh, your point about Pittsburgh is, is bang on. They've got, it, they've got three cups apiece between Crosby, Latang, Malkin, and a handful of other guys. So, yeah, no big deal there. I got a I got an observation that, that troubles me a little bit. And you know that you know we, how much we respect any player in any league, basically, who's ever earned a paycheck playing the game, full marks. I mean, and I don't, uh, this should never come off as any kind of disrespect to what they do. But the player analysis at the deadline was our GM did nothing which speaks volumes about his confidence in our group. He knows that we've got the group to get it done. So he didn't make any changes and upset our chemistry. Or why didn't our GM do anything? We, you know, couldn't we have used a little depth on defense or a little third or fourth line scoring help, maybe a backup goaltender? Why our GM didn't do anything? Does he not think we can do it? Like, or, or, or conversely, our GM went out and picked up a third pair defenseman, uh, a fourth line center, and, and uh, a goalie prospect. So he knows that we can win because he did that, knowing that this is our year, that we can compete for a cup this year. It's, it's almost like the Taves argument. You just, 
money, you can't win it. We made a trade. Why'd you make a trade? Don't you believe in us? We didn't make a trade. Why not? Like, no matter what you do. I think there's a right way and a wrong way to do it from an outsider perspective. And I think, and this is in no way, this is in no way of me attempting to say that it's a foregone conclusion and a guarantee that that Colorado's a cup, the cup winner this year. But the way Sackett did the deadline is the way to do that. He didn't upset his he didn't upset his team chemistry, but right. he added depth. Colorado now has extra players that they didn't have before. Before, if a player went down and went injured, they either dealt with eleven forwards and six and seven D, or they brought somebody from Loveland. Now they've got lineup competition, and yep. they've got extra guys to slot in and out. And and they and with the exception of Tyson Jost, what did they give up? They didn't give up anybody that that was gave up. absolutely a key cog in their machine. And I love I love Tyson Jost, you know that. But yep. with exception of Jost, they did Sackick didn't lose anybody that was a key part of what they were doing. No. And but he, he did added but he added the necessary pieces. Yeah. So come playoff time, if Eric Johnson blocks a shot and breaks his foot. Well, now you've got Jack Johnson, Curtis McDermott, Bowen Byram, however you want to slot it. If, if Kubel, Obey Kubel takes an awkward hit and blows out his shoulder, well, now you've got Comfer, you've got New Hook, you've got Cogliano, Sturm, Lekkonen. You've got these guys who can now slot in, and that's, that's how you do it. And so here's a – Here's a rhetorical question for you, and, and that's, uh, you know, if you want to wrap up on this, how much does a GM owe it to the player and to the fan base to explain himself? Does he owe nobody nothing? Does, does he know, owe nothing, no explanation to anybody? Does he do himself a favor by communicating the plan, or does he just do it and say, I'm the GM. If you don't like it, don't go to the game or whatever. I like where, where do you think as a player and as a fan and as an analyst, where do you think that responsibility lies? To me, I like, to me, I like the organizational culture. Personally, I like the organizational culture where everybody's adults and they can trust each other. Right. I want if I'm if I'm Gabe Landeskog and 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 don't get, and this is com, this is completely different than Jonathan Taves, okay? So please understand this. Please understand it's different. I want the listeners and everybody to understand that it's no way me saying that people that the situation should be like it is in Chicago. It should not. That's a toxic situation yeah. with the way Taves is doing things. What I am saying though is. Open line of communication and trust. So if I'm in, for example, in Colorado, if I'm Gabe Landeskog, I need to trust Joe Sackick. Sackick needs to trust me. I want that open line of communication to know that if that if you're going to trade Tyson Jost, you don't necessarily owe me an explanation, but I would absolutely fall head over heels in love with you if you sit me down, me, you, and Bednar, and explain why you did it, what you're adding, and what you see. And then it's an open dialogue of, 
I'm Gabe, and now I can say what I see now that Jost is gone, now that this guy's in, what Bednar sees, how he can work the lineup, communication. To me, that's I like that that trust in, in, organize, in an organizational culture. Yep, um, that's a good answer. The I, Chicago situation is toxic. But beyond, but beyond that, honestly, I don't think a GM owes anybody. I, I, to me, to me, if there's a situation where he owes an explanation, it's to his players, his his, his organization, his team. Otherwise, it's it's not anybody's business. If I have to answer a reporter question, fine, but I'll answer it how I'm going to answer it. And any details, that's not for you to know. I'll communicate with my coaching staff. I'll communicate with my leadership. That's where it, where it lies. This is our organization. We, we're creating the, the structure where, we, where I'll happily give up this player to have 13 Matt Calverts. I, I don't care because that's the type of leadership and passion and glue and cohesiveness that I want in my organization. I don't want outside noise. I deal with it because it's mandated to me by the league that we make time for the media. Right. But aside from that, my my explanations go to my my or my organization, my people, my team, and that's it. Right. Gotcha. I, oh, well, that's- we love the fan. We love the fans. We appreciate their passion and their support. But with all due respect to them, they're not in the room. They're not making decisions. They're not on the ice. So we're making decisions from an organizational perspective that we see as best. And I think that's the right answer that's needed. I, I really, uh, I thought that was rhetorical, but that is the correct answer. And if you communicate properly inside the walls of your organization, if you communicate through your coaching staff and your player development people, and even your, your pro scouts and, and, and you discuss who might be available to give, to give up from, from your AHL club or from your prospect pool, and who might be available to go and get, you communicate that properly and it comes down from the management staff, through the coaching staff and into the dressing room, then the players know and, and the confidence is there. So no, Sackick doesn't, uh, a guy like Sackick who has earned, should have earned long ago everybody's confidence as a GM, he doesn't owe Gabe Landeskog an explanation, but he probably gives him one because then Landeskog doesn't want him on the ice telling him what to do, nor does Sackick want Landeskog in the press box in his ear. So when that happens, the fan base can't say much if the players are all supportive. So if your players and your coaching staff are all supportive, what's the fan got to say? I know better? No. So in the problem in Chicago is Jonathan Taves and, and that, that organization, as much as respect as I have for Rocky Words, that organization is in, it's a, it's really toxic, as you said, in on and off the ice. Taves now feels very comfortable going out to the media and criticizing his management staff. Does he, what would he say if the management staff was in the newspaper and on television criticizing him? They're not making the playoffs. They suck. They haven't done anything in years. What, you know, do, does he want that kind of criticism brought on himself by them? No. 
He wants to be immune from all that. But at the same time, he feels perfectly at ease going to the media and criticizing management because they didn't approve. He doesn't approve of their, their rebuild or their trade. It's just stupid. And it's the same as, as uh, him going off crazy uh, and running his mouth when, there was, uh, when the lockout was going on about how awful everybody was. I, I just, okay, me and my nine and a half million dollars a year, I'm going to complain because I've got to sit out for a month or two. To me, the, the, the mold to follow is the Boston Bruins. They've been competitive now for 10 plus years. Yeah. And they seem to be immune to any rebuild or any aging or any roster turnover because of how they're run and the proper communication. And to me, that's how you do it. It's that's a really good when point. you look at, when you look at, you know, continue to use Colorado as an example, Patrick Waugh situation, piss poor communication, Patrick Waugh. And it was noted by several players that Patrick Waugh was a good coach, but his issue was he was a little bipolar in how he wanted to operate things. Right. So one day he's, one day he's a coach's coach and he's bag skating and he's this and that. And then the very next day he's, he's one of the boys, he's buddy, buddy. And you don't know from one day to the next what kind of coach you're going to get and what kind of relationship you expect to have with him. And that was, and as a result, you saw the issue. Yep. He, he left two weeks prior to a training camp and, and the influx and the confusion mixed with a lot of things had a big role in their 48 point season. So these proper communication can go a long way, whether you win a Stanley cup or not, proper communication can put you in a position to basically be as close to immune as uh, in regards to turnover and roster rebuilds and things as you can get. And, and Boston is a prime example of that. Yep. So here's uh, yeah. And you bring up a good point. I'm glad you mentioned Boston. Um, and listen, you gotta, you gotta stand up and salute Bruce Cassidy and, and Don Sweeney. They won the cup in 2011, 11. They won up in 11. Now, 11 years ago, every year they're in the playoffs. Every year they're at the top of the Eastern Conference. Every year they're going a couple of rounds in. Every year they beat the snot out of people, starting with the Toronto Maple Leafs in the spring. Go back and look at the 2011 Cup roster in Boston and count the number of guys who are still there. And they're, that's a team that could that should shock no one if they win the Stanley Cup in 22, 11 years later. Complete roster turnover, make the playoffs every year, pound the heck out of people every year, and it's Sweeney and it's Bruce Cassidy. And, and take Chera out of the lineup. Take Pasternak out of the lineup. Move this guy in. Move that guy out. These guys retired. That third line of uh, Thornton, or the fourth line, Thornton, Kelly, and, uh, and Greg Campbell, they're gone. Tory Krug is gone. Over and over and over at every position, players come and go, and they still win. And Detroit did it for a long time. Detroit did it for 15 years. No matter who was in the lineup, who was hurt, who was traded, who retired. Next man up, and they win. So... When you look at Pittsburgh, Boston, 
the teams that win every year and their and their rebuild takes place while they're making the playoffs and winning a playoff round or two in the midst of constantly rebuilding. If you don't constantly rebuild, you have to blow it completely up and rebuild, and that's painful. Well, I think that's the key. I think that's always looking ahead. The management and coaching staff and player development always planning three and four years ahead so that you don't have cap trouble. You don't have a 48 point season. You don't have to completely destroy it. You make up, you, you rebuild a little bit every year. Well, to me, that's the key. That's and Boston, Boston does it perfectly to me. That's the key. Very good point. Is Chicago, Chicago is a prime example of a team that want that, waits and waits and waits and then has no choice but to blow it up um but boston has has done it has led the charge so far colorado is doing it where they do it a little at a time so to me that's the way you do it absolutely and you can't argue with you can't argue with wins so and and that's uh, the other point is uh, we talk about this all the time winning fixes everything if you're winning you made a great trade. If you're winning, it's a good thing you signed this guy to a long-term contract. If you're winning, the, the scuffle in, in practice is just boys being boys. You lose seven out of 10, flunk out of the playoffs. Now, the trade criticism, the, the signing criticism. Oh, these guys, are, uh, these guys are at each other's throats in practice. So they, one of them's getting traded or something or other. Losing creates problems where there aren't any. Winning glosses over problems where there might be some. So it just it changes it all. And that's, that's, the, that's the bottom line to everything is you are beyond reproach as long as you're winning. And, and as soon as you start losing, then everything you do is going to be called into question. Well, we're on the podcast, uh, Facebook and Instagram, Warm the Hockey Podcast, at Warm the Hockey Podcast, respectfully. Engage with us, Apple Podcast, Spotify, and YouTube, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio. Subscribe, rate, and review, share. And uh, yeah, thanks for joining us this week. Thanks for joining on Zoom. Yep. Good to be back. This week, this week, I will say this. Uh, this week, I will not post the video version of this week's podcast. Um, I don't look great, and I don't want um, muting and leaning and coughing to be seen by everybody. Um, <laughs> Hopefully, I muted enough that it <clears throat> that all that was caught was the occasional clearing of the throat. Um, but recovering from a bit of the the cold flu, um, this week there will be no video podcast just for the sake of aesthetic. So, um, but enjoy the enjoy the stretch run here to the, to the playoffs. Enjoy BCHL playoffs getting started, and in the next week or two, the Frozen Four continues uh, with the final four teams there. So. A lot of hockey, a lot to look forward to. Appreciate Beautiful. you being on Zoom this week. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Yep. I'm Evan Rauer with Warm the Hockey Podcast. We'll see you all throughout the hockey community. Cheers. Cheers.